Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime anywhere with daily bonuses that should brighten your day a little actually a lot so sign up now at chumbacasino.com that's chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus Welcome, everyone, to Rock M Nation Podcast. Uh, we are on Season 4. This is Episode 3 of Dive Cuts, which is your favorite basketball-slash-whiskey-talk podcast. Uh, I am your host, Sam Snelling. With me, as always, is the uh, the great Matthew J. Harris. Matt, how are you? I'm well. Uh, rested, rejuvenated, after a week in uh, the Great Smoky Mountains. Where there was much trail hiking, bourbon sipping, and running on uh, done, uh, and apparently while I was gone, the entire recruiting board decided to clear out. So uh, sorry for that. While I was uh, vacationing with my in-laws <laughs> last week and leaving uh, you to handle the bulk of, you know, the uh, recruiting board winnowing down. Well, fortunately, I think we had some uh, some signals that. Uh, that Dura Gordon was going to land at Missouri. So I was able to prep that post a little bit. Um, the the <laughs> Caleb Brown was a little bit of a surprise. Um, so let, let's just jump in and kind of discuss this a little bit. Missouri's class expanded by uh, two members um, with uh, Caleb Gra- uh, Brown, who is the younger brother. brother. Ugh. Um, apparently the, uh, the, the proof of the old Ezra 7 in my glasses getting to my tongue a little bit. Uh, but but Caleb Brown is the younger brother of Kobe Brown, uh, who I think most Mizzou fans should know at this point. He started many many basketball games last year for the Tigers, um, and and Kobe was really I think a surprise for both of us. I think at this point um, expectations are that he is going to be at least a very sort of good foundational member of the rotation for the you know the next uh, next three seasons. Um, his younger brother, though, like nobody really could get a really clear understanding of, on what was happening with his recruitment, and he ultimately chose Missouri probably for the familiarity with the program. It seems like he's been in quotes with, uh, you know, several of the people that have interviewed him since, uh, as being, um, you know, just just very comfortable with with the coaches, with the players, as you know, coming up to watch his brother play, uh, you know being around the program just led him to to make the decision to commit i think for for you and me we were maybe a little surprised that missouri was taking his commitment this early um mainly because i think there were still targets uh that they were recruiting 
at his position uh, on the board, which I'm, I would assume they were valuing higher. Uh, but still, he's a member of the class. Uh, Matt, what say you? Um, I think it depends on what the rest of the class looks like before I want to assess like where he fits. Um, reportedly, there was not a committable offer from West Virginia, and he was not a take at Minnesota. So if you strip those two offers out, it's Missouri and three other mid-major programs. Um, I think you and I have talked about the hard part about the 2021 cycle is evaluating where guys are in this spring and summer. Um, Caleb Brown's uh, grassroots team, EAB Tennessee, has played in some events, but those have been on live streams. Um, it's hard to really gauge sometimes the quality of competition. Um, but what we can say is that you didn't see his stock blow up this spring. You didn't see a parade of programs, at least the high major level, come in and say, yeah, we like this guy's mix of size and comfort handling the basketball. Um, his offer list didn't really expand beyond the mid and low major level. So, you know, there's not... I was only able to see like snippets of him in full games this spring and summer, so I don't want to speak definitively here. But when you look at him on tape, um, obviously he's a bigger body guy. He's comfortable handling the ball. I mean, he's um, a lot like his brother. He's, he's not quite as tall, um, but similar body build. Um, and similar skill need, level. Yeah. Um, you're going to need to have Nicodemus like shape up his body a little bit. But again, there were reports that he was kind of nicked up and injured, so I don't want to like dog a guy's conditioning if there were some lagging for if there were some nagging injuries but i guess what i'm saying is you know and i caught flack for saying this about his brother was i kind of view caleb as a black box here like if you just view how other programs and suitors saw him this spring his stock was pretty much the same now if he's talked about how Conzo Martin has pitched him as coming in and even playing some point guard, which whatever people are going to talk about the offensive end of the floor. He's, he's a combo forward to me. Yeah. Your, your, your position is not where you are in the floor and offense. It's what you defend and he's going to defend bigger wings and combo forwards. Um, so when I look at that, like maybe the athleticism perks up once he gets healed up and gets his conditioning in order, maybe you see that happen. But at six six two eighteen. That's that's kind of a tweener spot of the wing and the combo forward. Um, I don't know what you've seen based off the tape, but I think there's kind of some average athleticism there. You're going to hope that maybe some comfort handling the ball pans out, but we didn't really see that with Kobe this year. Kobe was kind of a guy who would space to a corner and launch corner threes, maybe cut off the ball a little bit. You know, you didn't really see Kobe handle all that much, so I'm sort of skeptical at least at this point, if their skill sets are similar, that Caleb's going to come in and be a guy, especially on next year's roster, that you're going to have the ball in his hands a lot. So I, I guess what this adds up to is it's a developmental guy that you hope grows into maybe a ceiling as a solid starter. Maybe that's what his ceiling is. I don't know. Perhaps it's unfair on my part in the evaluation, given that I haven't seen as much film on him. But I, I, I don't think this is a guy you look at and say, yeah, we're going to bank on him being a four, you know, being a a regular starter that we plug into the into the rotation over the next couple of years. But um, he he shores up some depth at combo forward because you know Mitch Smith is going to be graduating, and it's probably good to grab someone there just to be safe. Yeah, so I tend to think when you look at, like I said, the similarities with his brother, I think the things that you like about Kobe and and you know Kobe's kind of potential going forward are going to be a lot of the same things that you like about Caleb. Um, you know, for his size, he does handle the ball well. Uh, he has uh, a really good skill level, um, and he's a big body. And I I really don't think you can discount a big body who can handle uh, the ball, but also knows how to handle. You know maybe a, a lacking of explosive athleticism. Like, I don't really think of Kobe as an explosive athlete, um, but he's an effective athlete. He's learned to, yeah. 
Yeah, he's he's learned to to use uh, maybe the the things that he doesn't have an explosive athleticism um, by you know being smarter, by being more skilled, uh, and and while also still being a, a good enough athlete to to defend multiple positions. And I think that's what you're probably looking. Um, you know, I think I I wrote in the commitment piece that I think if you're looking at Kobe as kind of a guy who's sort of squeeze between the three and the four position. I think ideally you're hoping that Caleb is going to be a guy that's squeezed kind of between the two and the three position. So that's a combo guard, a guy that you can turn to to handle the ball, but it's probably going to be more comfortable defending, uh, you know, like a wing than he is like a point guard. Um, and, uh, you know, like I realize that, you know, if the coaches are talking to him about playing point, like they're talking about him bringing the basketball up the floor, or or handling, yeah, handling the ball against the press, uh, doing pre- like there's a difference between like he won't be defended by like the starting point guard at Kentucky, you know, it, like they're not gonna put, you know, I realize you know Ashton Higgins isn't gonna be there, but they're not gonna put somebody like Ashton Higgins on a player like Caleb Brown. Uh, they're gonna match somebody up who's a little bit taller, a little bit more physical. Um, you know, because you don't want to get, you don't want to lose that matchup when things get in around the basket. And, and I think, uh, Caleb's best fit is probably going to be as more of a, uh, a wing who's comfortable handling the ball, uh, you know, but is able to, um, attack the rim rebound, do all the things that you would maybe expect out of like a bigger wing or a combo forward. Um, you know, I don't know that I quite think he's ready to defend somebody uh, at the four. Like, I think Kobe has enough size that he can kind yeah. of do that. Um, you know, but I, I think that his skill level is enough that he could he could be comfortable in the wing. I guess the other thing that I have questions about is just, you know, when you watch film that's available, you don't really see guys on the defensive end, so I don't really know what he looks like in terms of switching and in terms of handling those matchups. So that that's the other thing. Like I, I just haven't. You mean seen you him. mean highlight tapes don't uh, don't have a yeah. lot of defensive uh, film to watch? Yeah, that's why huddles better, folks. <laughs> Try and find huddle film of these guys because that's actually cut up, hopefully by their coach, and there's better stuff with both ends of the floor. So I guess I guess that's what kind of gives me pause here is like we're going to focus on the skill level offensively here, but like what's he look like as a switch defender? You know what happens if you get him isolated on? you know, a little bit more of a quick twitch wing. Like, that. I guess that's my thing here is defensively, like, what's he going to look like? And, again, the kid's got to get on campus and go through conditioning and whatever, and we'll see what happens. Well, and also, but, like, you know, Missouri has done a, a fair amount of, of defending and more of a little bit of, uh, of a pack line where, where you're defending gaps more so than, um, you know, the individual guys. And, and so, like, you know, you sort of watch – Mark Smith play defense and Mark isn't like a great athlete. He's not a guy who moves his feet extremely well, but he's, he's positionally so sound uh, and he knows how to get into his position so well um, that I think if you're hoping that, that Caleb kind of turns into a, a solid starter, like I think that's maybe the path that he goes along defensively as somebody who can be that kind of defender uh, who's more position versus, um, you know, versus havoc. Yeah. Um, but it's spot that's filled there. Um, we'll have to. I, I think you and I would probably agree that though this is a a long term investment. Um, that's you know there's going to be that in this class. I think that was always, always sort of my thing. You weren't going to find you know with six potential spots, maybe seven, depending on if Pinson decides to stick around after this season, whenever it ends and starts or ends. You know, you, you weren't going to come in and lock down you know, surefire day one instant impact guys at every spot. So I think that that's sort of how I view Brown is, you know, there's some traits there. There's some, there's some interesting facets to his game. And in this class where you're trying to restock and reload and, you know, you need some guys who are going to, you know, I think be long-term plays that that's the sort of investment they've made. So next is, uh, I think a guy that we are, are both, um, pretty high on is Sean Dewar Gordon. Um, Dewar Gordon is a six 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 seven 
wing with a gigantic wingspan um, from (laughs) originally from uh, Queens, I think, and uh, currently uh, enrolled at Putnam Science Academy in Connecticut. Um, Drew Gordon chose Missouri over, what was it, Arizona State and Auburn, um, Georgia. That's right, he kept Hofstra in there. uh, Seton Hall pivoted okay. They they uh, lined themselves up with a uh, I think a four star wing okay. Yeah, so that worked out for them. But uh, but I think we both really like Dura Gordon and and his uh, ceiling as a player. Um, you know because of maybe all the, some of the areas where we have concerns about uh, Caleb. I don't think you have those same kind of concerns about Dura Gordon. Yeah, I think they're sort of one of the they sort of mirror they're sort of the yin and yang here Dura gordon very long um a little bit bouncier um a little bit more active i think you'd want to have him as a guy who you want to have out applying ball pressure or you are comfortable with maybe jumping gaps a bit being a bit more assertive on that into the floor um the one trade-off is the handle will need to be cleaned up a bit um the jumper on the top end looks good like you watch the mechanics on the top end, like from his waist up, and they look okay. But um, the jumper, like to me, you can maybe I think you could probably tell me if I'm wrong here. But from the waist down, his base is a little wide. He doesn't necessarily explode vertically into his shot, but it comes off pretty clean. And the shooting percentage is at 45%. Tell you it's working. So you know, I'm. It just looks a little different, but hey, it goes in. Um, I think the one thing that I like about the Dura Gordon pickup is. You get a guy who I think Missouri's been kind of hunting for at that wing spot for a while that you kind of hoped Trey Jackson would be on that 3-4 line, which is a long, athletic dude who can play vert, who can play downhill and attack the rim and has the kind of build and instincts to finish at the rim. Missouri is not a good team in the half court. Its guards are not very good finishing plays around the rim. Um, they're probably one of the worst in the SEC, just from a shooting percentage perspective. Uh, the foul rates are pretty average, and that's where Missouri got into a bind last year. Was if it didn't make jumpers and it had to play downhill against any team with size, uh, the offense uh, got to be a little bit tough. Dura Gordon, there's no backup plan. At least Dura Gordon is a guy who I think you can catch, who can catch, rip, go, and attack, and that's what I think you need. Well, and a, and a benefit to that is is somebody who does sort of play with that level of aggression with that little level of athleticism, which I think if you look at someone like, you know, Javon Pickett, um, I think everybody can recognize that Javon plays hard and plays a great effort. But Javon's also like a 6'4", uh, you know, two, two guard, basically, w- w- doesn't quite have the skill level to play the two, so he plays the three a lot. Um and he just doesn't quite have the same level of athleticism to just go in and get like a putback dunk, uh, or you know get a lot of offensive rebounds, really generate points in other ways, uh, you know because he's sort of always playing behind. And, and the SEC is such a hyper athletic league, and I think what Dura Gordon does is he is a plus athlete. He has fantastic length, um, you know, and, and when you when you couple those things together, you get a guy that, even if he isn't a terrific finisher, is likely to uh, generate a lot of fouls. Yeah. And the SEC, they're going to call fouls. <laughs> if you play downhill and you... SEC refs! <laughs> I mean, and... I mean, I don't say that tongue-in-cheek, but I think that's always been the thing here is... the. You know, refs who work this league are going to be inclined to give the benefit of the doubt to guys who take the action Mm -hmm. at the defense. And Missouri, you know, how often did you hear last year, you know, like Missouri came out in the second half more committed to attack the rim? Like Missouri's default was we're going to space, we're going to, you know, try and create open jumpers and spot ups. And if the. Mizzou's uh, offense got a lot better once uh, Xavier Pinson and Drew Smith, both both two very good free throw shooters, started going to line yeah. a lot more. So I think even if like Dura Gordon, you know, needs to clean up the handle and you know needs some polish there, at least you're getting a wing that can go, you know, be assertive, 
and give you a dimension that you don't have in the guard rotation right now. And the one thing I like about his link defensively is, you know, Missouri, I would like for them, I think sometimes, you know, Kobe Brown had a good steal rate last year. Drew Smith had a decent steal rate. If they could extend the pressure a little bit and try and create some offense for themselves in transition, I think that takes some pressure off what they have to do in the half court. And Dura Gordon's a guy who I think if you can let that length play out defensively and let him sort of you know, try and create deflections or create turnovers or you know ignite some transition opportunities, that eases some pressure on what Pinson and Drew Smith and Drew Bugs are going to have to do playing out of ball screen. So, you know, I think he's a guy who maybe you don't come in and expect him to you know, put up all SEC freshman numbers, but maybe he adds a dimension on both ends of the floor that you know, take some pressure off what the guard rotations had to do. So I, I like the pickup. I think over time um, he could grow into a pretty solid piece for them. Yeah, and I think, you know, when you talk about guys that sort of fit what Konzo wants to do and fit Konzo, you know, personality-wise, I think this is a guy that really sort of fits in that yeah. mold. Uh, and I think when you're talking about building a program, you know, you need – and really, like, this kind of gets back to some of the areas why Missouri is uh, the program uh, that it is today is is there hasn't been enough of a commitment to get guys that are going to, you know, be that, um, you know, invested into the coach and into the program. Uh, and if you can get that out of, out of Sean Dura Gordon, you're getting a guy who I think is going to be a foundational piece. And you couple that with... Um, Anton Brookshire, who we talked about a lot, uh, I think you're you're starting at a point where I don't know, like I think those two guys um, look to me to be the closest thing that Missouri can point to in a recruiting class in a long time that uh, can get close to something along the lines of what like Marcus Denman and Kim English and and like that that class, uh, which were all. Uh, you know, guys who were, um, you know, like 100 plus in the recruiting rankings. Um, they were all four-year guys, but they were all bought in. They were bought into the program. They were bought into each other. And and that's really something that Missouri has struggled to kind of consistently put together. So I think the hope, uh, and there's still a lot of work that needs to be done, and we'll, we'll get to that, uh, but the hope is that, like, you know Brookshire and Dura Gordon, along with somebody like like Kobe Brown and his brother Caleb, uh, you know, can be enough of a foundation. Because uh, I really, I I am a believer in, in Brookshire. I think Brookshire uh, has the ability to just keep getting better and keep getting better, uh, and and almost be a. And I realize saying Marcus Denman like is is talking about somebody who is, you know, all. <laughs> all-american in his time at, at at missouri um but i just mean as far as like you know the impact of the program that that marcus had uh from his freshman to his even just his junior year i i think brookshire is a guy that has the potential to do that and i think dura gordon in a, in a lot of the same ways fits everything that Kanza wants to do if he can develop a uh, skill level offensively you've got a guy who's going to be a fixture in the rotation uh, for the moment he steps on campus, and whether whether he de- he turns into, um, you know, just a really good six guy off the bench, or whether he turns into, uh, you know, somebody who can, um, you know, completely change the the trajectory of the program. I mean, that that remains to be seen. But I really like both of those two guys as 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 being fixtures for the for the future Missouri basketball if it's going to get yeah. turned around. And. I think the one thing I sort of told you earlier today was the challenge with this class was, and we've talked about it before, was the depth of in-state talent um, was not as robust as it has been in the past. And so Missouri really had to go and scout and work outside its natural area. Now, some people are going to say, but Jordan Nesbitt, we're, we're past that discussion at this point. It is what it is. <laughs> Who? Um, but Missouri went out and I think you know they got Brookshire early who we're both high on Dura Gordon was a fast riser this spring that had high majors jump in 
they won that battle. Um, you know, I, I'm a believer, you know, people have their critiques of Tom Crean, they're valid, but if Tom Crean's on a three-star dude hard, I tend to trust Tom Crean's evaluation there, given what he's done with guys who are a little bit more lower rated, in the at least in the, by recruiting services. There was a guy uh, from uh, Jefferson City. I believe he plays for the Toronto Raptors now. I forget yeah, his yeah, name, uh, but uh, Missouri didn't yeah, offer him. Yeah, didn't offer him, but, um, <laughs> but Tom did. So, Anunoby. And so I think that's like always the the ring there. Like if you see programs that jump in that are good or at identifying guys in that like 150 to 200 range, Seton Hall has done that. Like So you look at those guys in those programs that do that, and you think, okay – that feels good. Like VCU is really good at like finding, you know, I don't know if they develop guys as much offensively because they, they still use that havoc system of, you know, quite a bit, but you just look at programs and coaches that have had success in that 150 to 200 range. And when they're in on a guy, you think, okay, maybe the returns aren't immediate, but good coaches are also seeing what we're seeing, what your staff is seeing. And if you win that commitment, you feel good about it. Now, they've got to do the work to turn Dura Gordon into a really, really good player and, and one that can be a, an asset for this team. But, you know, I, I think you look at the scout, and we can talk about this too. Missouri did a good job, I think, this spring in a really tough environment of scouting guys. And they weren't going to land them all, and maybe they didn't land the ones that maybe we wish they had landed. But Dura Gordon is a quality pickup, so... You know, we, it remains to be seen. They've got to do the work, and they've got to turn him into what we think he can be. But that that given the climate and what was happening this spring, to come out of that with a a guy whose stock was on the rise is is a good is a positive sign. Well, yeah. So they they missed on Tamar Bates. Uh, Tamar Bates committed to Texas along with uh, Missouri's other you know kind of big miss for for both Matt and I, which was David Joplin. And I think a lot of people were. I don't know, maybe a little dismissive of some of the guys that were getting offers, um, you know, early in the spring cycle. But if you look at who they were offering early in the spring cycle, uh, and you look at where those guys have landed, and I will continue to to preach the the fact that this is going to be the weirdest recruiting rankings that we've ever seen. We're going to see a lot of misses. Uh, we're going to see a lot of guys misevaluated. Um, but overall, I. I'm still a believer that you can kind of trust recruiting rankings. Like it's a good barometer for, for where guys are. And, and uh, you know, Tamar Bates, I think we always thought was going to end up being a, a top 100 level player. Uh, I always kind of thought like based upon what I had seen that, that he was a guy who's probably going to be in that maybe 75 to 85 range, maybe, you know, dipping it into the, the mid to low nineties. I don't really think there's a huge difference between, a lot of guys, once you kind of get past maybe 40 or 50, yeah, once you get past 50 uh, then it, it becomes, becomes about scheme fit and development and all that other stuff. Yeah, and, you know, there's like slight differences in all these guys. It gets really, really hard to, to rank once you get past the elite guys. But David Chaplin is a guy that I think both you and I watched the film once they offered and we're like, holy Love cow, this like this guy really kind of jumps off the film. He is a, like, the, the premier. Uh, size and skill level for a combo forward, uh, like six seven, big strong body, good athlete. Uh, you know, shoots the ball well, uh, especially off the you know off the catch, which is a big deal when you're talking about a guy at the four who can space the floor. And that's why, like, I mean, obviously, like Shakas are the same thing. Uh, maybe not as quickly as Missouri did, but but inevitably, like. Joplin ended up at Texas, and now, like the two four seven rankings came out. What yeah. was that today? Fifty ninth. Uh, and he's he, yeah, he's a top sixty guy now. Uh, and so I think that says a lot. Like Missouri is is doing all the right things as far as evaluating. Uh, you know where they're they've kind of fallen short is is they haven't been able to to fully win the battles they need to win uh, in order to kind of get. And I think Joplin is a really great example of the kind of guy that you were on early enough. Uh, I'm a little surprised that he got bumped as high as a top 60 level guy. But if he had gone um, into the top 100, if he had like Bates was at 96 in 247 today, which I still think is a little bit low. But if Joplin had 
popped around 90 to 100, I'd have been like, yeah, that makes sense. Because he had a really good spring. Yeah. And as I've said here before, like if you go watch his program in uh, Wisconsin's really good about uploading like game by game highlights. If you watched him from late January through March, the dude just took off, just exploded and continued this spring, you know, and was a guy that I thought, even if he only landed in only landed in like the one twenties or one thirties, that would have been a, a coup, an absolute coup to get that guy. Um, and, you know, you look at, and I think I told you this day when we saw the rankings come out, if they had landed David Joplin or Tamar Bates, just one of those two guys alone, with the guys they have in the class right now, they'd be around 20th nationally. Like, that's that's how fine the margin is right now. And granted, we have to, and I say that because, and feel confident saying that because we're seeing a lot of 2021 guys come off the board early in this environment. Guys are wanting to get their spots secured. So if Missouri was around 20th right now and they say they were to lock up someone else, you'd have a class that's between 20th and 30th nationally. In a year where Missouri recruiting was the state, so, you know, pool of talent was down a bit, you had a once-in-a-century pandemic, you would have felt thrilled about that class. You would have absolutely said they found four or five prep guys landed in the top 20 to 30 nationally, God bless them, they worked their asses off and they got it done. But now you're looking at this group and sort of saying, and I think we were saying this before we came on, there's some pieces we like. And we've talked about here how, how there's some you know assets and some guys that we think can be foundational pieces, but Tamar Bates may be an all-conference level kid in a couple of years. Like, to win that battle, which you we were so invested in, and to put him with Anton Brookshire and his skill level, and to put him with a guy like Sean. Well, especially because I think like Tamar Bates and Anton Brookshire would have really complemented each other really well. You could have ran Brookshire really at well. the one, Bates at the two. You could have then had a guy like Dura Gordon on the wing and Joplin at the four. That right, that that's that fantastic. would have been <laughs> right there. That that's outstanding work. And now you're looking at it and going, okay, they got. Brookshire at the two and they got uh, he can maybe he can play the one and the two and you know you can run Dewar Gordon at the wing but you know combo forward you know now we got to really hope that they you know hit Terrace Reed in 2022 and oh man now we got to go out in the spring and we've really got to do work on the point guard front you know maybe in the transfer market so now just one or two misses there suddenly changes what would have been a not an elite class, but one where you would have looked at and said, this is a foundational group that over the couple of years, you know, has the personality and the skill set to grow into a really, really good nucleus. And now yeah. they've still got three more spots to fill and they've got to, And I think right now they've got to find, uh, especially, uh, so, well, who's, who's left on the board that, that we know that they've offered. There are, they've offered 31 guys this cycle and there are eight left uncommitted. Um, I'm just going to go in order by offer date here, or at least by, uh, not have it set up by 247 ranking. So right now there is Shane Dizoni, a wing out of uh, New Jersey and plays at Huntington. They're probably not going to continue to pursue. I would be surprised given the the Derek Gordon commitment. commitment. Um, Blake Wesley, another wing out of South Bend, Indiana, um, He's, he's kind of listed as a combo guard, so possibly a guy that can kind of fill what you were hoping to fill with the uh, Tamar Bates uh, commitment. So I I would imagine they are still trying to recruit Blake. And uh, he's Wesley. also listed in Missouri as one of the dozen programs still left for his services. So Dozen. Well, Top 12, whatever, baby. They made the recruiting graphic. <laughs> <laughs> That's a win, right? <laughs> That's, that's all that matters, the making the recruiting graphic. You made the graphic. edit, baby. Um, <laughs> Caleb Washington, a guard out of Georgia, who by all reports um, seems like he's going to probably stay in ACC country or at least regionally down there. Uh, mm-hmm. Then we start to get into some names that I think three names that we can double back to. Yaya Keita, a post out of DeSmet in St. Louis. Miles Kelly, a combo guard out of Lilburn, Georgia. Legend Geeter, uh, a post slash combo forward out of Detroit, Michigan, who plays at River Rouge, a really good program up there. 
And then two names that, like, I think at this point, just given the lack of any information that's come out this spring related to these guys, I'm sort of dismissive of where they fit. Um, Percy Miller, who they offered in uh, February, and then Madison Peaster, a point guard out of Little Rock. And there's some hints that maybe that offer may not uh, be on the up and up there. So, realistically, if you were to look at those eight names you'd probably say Wesley, Kata, Kelly, and Geet are the ones that you want to monitor at this point. And that's two combo guards. Again, they need a combo guard and a post. And so they've got two options there. So that's the, that's kind of the lay of the land right now um, as we get into September. So I think both of us are and have been all in on, on Yaya Kata. Um Legend Geeter to me uh, seems like he's a little bit more of a like combo forward, but you were you were hearing that Missouri is kind of pitching him as almost like a small ball five. Yeah, I heard they were pitching him there. It sounds like what's going to happen with Geeter is he is holding out hope that Michigan will offer him. Uh, that seems to be remote because Harrison Ingram, a five star kid, may be popping for Jawan, and if that happens, you know, there's no spot for him there. So it sounds like he's a backup plan in Ann Arbor. Um, Georgetown has already taken a guy at his spot. Georgetown was in a, was in his final. Well, and he didn't even have Michigan on a, on the recruiting graphic, Matt. How does that work? You know, I'm, I'm befuddled, <laughs> Sam. It's almost like the uh, standards are fungible for recruiting graphics and unclear. <laughs> Who would have thought? But his recruiting graphic is just to back up. His final five are Providence, Missouri, Georgetown, Western Michigan, and uh, Detroit Mercy. Um, Georgetown has taken a guy at his position, so it would seem it would stand to reason that with only one spot there, and it filled that the Hoyas are out, but got a uh, you know just a grandfathered into the recruiting graphic. Um, Missouri, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with them, but Providence and Mizzou, I was told, are his top two right now. Um, and he's going to wait and see what Ingram does at Michigan. So the question for me really becomes, where does he fit on the board for Missouri? Is If you believe that Kaida is the top target, then... Geeter would, you know, feasibly be the backup to him. And then we're having a discussion realistically about two guys who really are undersized posts. Um, they're both a 6'7 to 6'9, 220. I would slot more of them traditionally as combo forwards, but, you know, I think, you know, I, I like Kaida's energy level. I think he's a guy who can fit maybe more what Missouri wants positionally at the f- at the five spot, just as a roller, a rebounder, and a guy who can play in the short corner. Uh, Geeter is a little bit undersized, but um, has been productive. And, you know, River Rouge, for those who are unaware, is a really, really respected program in Michigan. Um, Geeter was a couple years ago viewed as kind of like one of the next big guys to come out of this class so in the same kind of – Ranges Pierre Brooks, Kobe Bufkin, you know, Jade Nakins. Uh, didn't really have kind of the takeoff, which happens, you know, when you're projecting what freshmen are going to do, but um, kind of straddles that line. Uh, it was explained to me as kind of a, a, a high floor, low ceiling guy. You know, really good rebounder. He could probably become like a good reserve big by his junior or senior year if you're recruiting at a healthy level. So, I guess it really comes down to, you know, how do you evaluate the potential of Kata versus maybe what Geeter can give you at his floor. But uh, that's kind of the decision I'm interested to see here is, um, there have been, the real question is too, is is Geeter a take at this point for Missouri? Um, If he's not, then you're kind of waiting on Kata. And, you know, he may like Missouri, but if they're not willing to take the commitment right now, it's all sort of moot. But, that's kind of the lay of the land right now. So we're, and we really don't know if Missouri is going to stick it out with with like Miles Kelly, 
uh, or Percy Miller. Um, the Mer- Miller situation is sort of odd to me because um, there's like almost no information that ever comes out, and yet the same programs who have offered are always just sort of listed whenever anybody, you know, talks to him. So it doesn't seem to me, at least, that he's in any kind of rush to kind of cut down his list. So I guess the question would be: Is are they going to um, are they going to you know pursue Miles Kelly and and try to sort of fill another you know guard spot in this class, or do they sort of feel that they're okay and maybe go into the spring and start hunting for uh, somebody who's got a little bit more point guard experience, either through uh, junior college um, or through a traditional transfer, uh, or even not even a traditional transfer. Um, but uh, a graduate transfer, you know, somebody like like Drew Bugs. I almost wish that Drew Bugs would have been coming in next year. Uh, I think he probably would have <laughs> yeah. helped this team next year. Uh, but yeah, so like, I think for me at least, it seems like they're going to probably focus pretty hard on on the you know Kaida or Geeter, and then mostly look to the spring, uh, which I think you're probably going to be filling uh, at least a couple spots um, in the spring. And I, you know, like there's, because of how weird this year has been, I think the the probability of a hot transfer market is pretty high. And and I would say, you know, if, if they come out of, if they hypothetically landed, Yaya Keita to close the the fall period you'd feel good I mean we talked on, on previous episodes about you know if you got Bates Keita and Brookshire you'd feel like a lot of good work happened um, and if you get two out of the three again not perfect but you did yeoman's work and you got guys in who, who you wanted who were on your board pretty high and Honestly, I w- I've always been more apt to think that they should go into spring looking for a mm-hmm. veteran ball handler anyway. And I think you would have done that regardless if Bates was in this class or not. I think you just would have wanted uh, someone there for that. Um, now, if Pinson comes back for his senior year, then then that need lessens. But I, I guess if you come out of this fall period with a combo forward, a combo guard, a wing, and a post – you know, then you can really say, okay, we've we've filled up most of the spots with prep guys. Um, we don't want a freshman point guard. We want someone who's got a little bit more experienced hand there. We're going to go and we're going to grab a, a transfer point guard. And then that sixth spot, maybe seventh spots, at that point I think you just take the guys who are mm-hmm. the best available talent and just try and you know say, okay, where can we maybe – upgrade you know Missouri technically didn't need a Justin Turner this past spring but there was a Mac player of the year available and you go get that guy because he can you know you can find room for him so I think the one need they would have if they you know land Kaida is go find a veteran ball handler and then I think it's really just a wild card and whatever else the market offers up that you think is going to make this roster better in 20 and 20 or at least in 21 22 do it so that, that's kind of where we stand right now. They're, we're waiting to see if they're going to take a post and then see what they do in the spring. So it, within two weeks, uh, they've they've uh, done quite a bit of work. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the the amount of, uh, I guess, you know, change in how you view the, uh, the this class has certainly been modified by having three spots filled. Um Especially when, you know, like, like I, I think we can say that there's a lot of questions about Caleb Brown um, and, and his fit and, you know, his impact and what you can expect from him. Um, and really, like, there's always going to be questions about any freshman who steps on campus. But, um, you know, I, I think that with, at least with, with Brookshire and Dewar Gordon, you have guys that I, I expect uh, are the kind of guys that Missouri can really kind of build around. And 
and maybe Caleb kind of becomes a fixture in that. If, if he does, that's great. I mean, I, I really think that last year when Kobe Brown committed that we kind of underrated um, him a little bit. And, with, you know, with, with, I think, reason because there wasn't just a whole lot of information. Uh, you're not able to see him. There's no full game tape. Uh, it's, it's difficult to make, uh, you know, or to get a really good read on him. And I think the same thing is true of his brother. Uh, there's there's things that you like and things that you just don't know. So we'll see. I, I think the one thing um, we don't have to belabor the point here is I think as we sit here right now, they've done some good work, but we've said it quite a bit, which is, man, they they just need something to break for them. You know? and, I, and I brought it up earlier with kind of, the recruiting rankings, which again, I don't like to use those as gospel because I think you have to make your evaluations and you have to sort of you know, decide who fits and you can't land every top 50 guy you offer. But it, by all accounts, they, Zoe has been more involved in recruiting this cycle, been more active, been, you know, the lead recruiter more often. Um, they were early in on Tamar Bates, early in on David Joplin, Supposedly, really liked by there. You know, you I, you know, you talk to people and they had made a really great impression, and you know, they were going to be in this thing until the end. And you know, guys said the right things publicly about how you know they really felt comfortable with Zoe. And you know, then you get to the end, and you know, in some ways, you know, Shaka Smart has recruited well this this cycle, and he's got Greg Brown this year, and he's got a really great class lining up for twenty twenty one. But you know. Shaka was on the hot seat this spring. You know, his recruiting is only going to magnify expectations there. So if you're going to say, well, you know, Shaka's in a tough spot and, you know, has some pressure and he may not be there and there's questions about long-term stability, the guy still came through and won some recruiting battles. And, you know, you could kind of say the same thing maybe about Konzo. Maybe he's not as an immediate a jeopardy as, you know, because his buyout is, is pretty hefty, but... You know, two guys who are sort of facing questions about the trajectory of the program. You know, one guy wins the battle and one guy doesn't. And, you know, I think for Conzo, the question is going to become, you know, when does, when does he get a win? You know, and I, I think, and that's not to disregard the work they've done with Caleb Brown, Anton Brochard, Sean Duragordon. You know, we've spent 40 minutes plus sort of lauding those guys and sort of touting them. But I think as you get ready to come out of the fall, you still have to look back and say, okay, there were some guys they identified that could really potentially change the trajectory of the program, and they came up short. And that's, you know, happened, you know, we, we sort of given them a pass for guys like Caleb Love or Cam Fletcher or EJ Liddell who were being targeted by top 15 programs. But at some point, I, I think it's reasonable to ask, you know, when, when are they going to get a win? You know, when will they break through and sort of land a guy who can be that focal point for them and can be someone who, you know, elevates what this program's ceiling is? And it's hard right now. And I I get that, you know, we're trying to, um, you know, make pretty logical and, you know, rational evaluations of what they have on hand. But it still doesn't, I think, I still don't think you can be entirely dismissive of the near misses here and at some point you've got to you've got to close and you've got to capitalize on that so i don't want to be dismissive of that before we move on well no and i i think like one of the things that uh and we we talked a little bit about this beforehand um you know but you talk about winning battles and you know missouri just going back for several years now uh has not won enough battles whether it's on the court or off the court um that includes Zoe and this current staff. They have not won enough battles. They have not won enough games in the court. They have not won uh, enough recruiting battles off the court. Uh, obviously, you know the setback of Kim Anderson era is is still prevalent. I, I think you can't dismiss that. I don't think you can dismiss, you know, kind of the state of the program uh, that that you know Frank Haith, um, you know, really kind of struggled to. Um, you know, to land the kind of depth that he needed to maintain, uh, you know, like 
20 plus win seasons and NCAA tournament seasons. Um, you know, but the reality is, is it is a, without being too cliche, it's a, it's a results oriented business. And for all the good things that, that, that Conzo Martin has done and done off the court, um, a tremendous, you know, person that he is, uh, and all of those things, when at the end of this next season, there's going to have to be more production from the program. Like there's going to have to be something that, that Zoe can point to and say, you see, like we got our guys healthy, uh, and this is what we produced. And what we produced was NCAA tournament season. Um, you know, and then he's got to go out in the spring and he's got to win probably at least two or three recruiting, recruiting battles, like, like win, uh, you know, because even the guy, even as much as, as, you know, we like the guys that, that they've got coming in right now. And let's say that, that they, they're able to get Kaida, which is, I think the guy that they probably want a little bit more. So, so you've got a four man class who I, you have to say that you feel pretty good about it's none of those guys are going to step in next year and, and, you know, be ready to contribute at an all-conference level. They're all developmental, long-term fixture pieces. Guys who you think can be a part of a, um, you know, a difference-making kind of team as they mature. So you need to have a year next year where, uh, like, where your sophomores uh, or sophomore, you know, Kobe Brown is. Um, really takes another step where where you know Javon Pickett and Torrance Watson take steps uh where the guys that are that are currently in the program get better and then you land um one or two big pieces in the spring to really set the trajectory of of the program that this is going to be at worst a top half um you know team in the SEC next year where that becomes the expectation uh, as you allow this class and then hopefully a, a really solid 2022 class to build and develop into what you hope kind of becomes, um, you know, the kind of team that can challenge for an SEC title. Because I think that's ultimately what Mizzou fans want. It's what you want. It's what I want. But like, we all want a team that wins. Uh, and I think we all really want that hap- to happen for Conzo Martin. Um, you know, because for a, a business that is as you know jaded and and shitty as as college basketball when you know like when people who are as crooked as like Will Wade uh, are winning basketball games like you want somebody good that you can point to and say he did it the right way and he won the basketball games uh and I think Conzo Martin is that kind of guy so I think we all are rooting for him um but it still has to happen on the floor. It still has to happen off the floor. And there still needs to be trajectory, like real trajectory shown this season that, that you believe that, uh, that, that him and the staff that he has in place are putting things in, in place to really build the program into uh, what we all want it to be. I think the one thing that'll be, and we've sort of, and we've talked around it, but I think you're going to get to, assuming the season tips off in late November, which is what's been reported here, you're going to get to the end of March. And I think if you turn in another 15, 16 win season for this team in this program, there's bigger conversations that go beyond recruiting and go beyond injuries about structure of staff, about recruiting approaches. However, you know, because You know, we've talked. We tried to, you know, put context around injuries and other stuff, and you know, maybe it's cost them two or three wins over the past couple of years, and it hasn't helped having, you know, the Porter brothers just, you know, be walking wounded. But you're going to be coming out of year four, going into year five, and every program, every rebuild, every guy that's on a job has faced, you know, some degree or has faced some headwinds. Maybe Conzo a little bit more than others, but you, you still want to be able to say, okay, we're going to year five of this experiment. Where are we? 
you know, if, if we are still, you know, at a, if you're still winning 15 to 16 games a year and, you know, you're still recruiting guys who are between 150 and 200 and, you know, attendance is still 10th in the SEC, performance on the floor is still 10th, you know, recruiting is around 10th or 11th. You have to ask questions and you have to really, I think, start to ask tough questions and, and have hard conversations about, is this thing really working? And so um, we're ending on kind of a dour note there, but I think... Matt, you always like to do this. The good, <laughs> I do, but I, I think it's important as we kind of come out of this and we've you know, talked about this three-man class. I don't want us to, you know... Well, I don't think, I don't think we, like, we've done... I don't want us to be mixing... I don't want to mix a batch of Kool-Aid to give to people and say, okay, they've got these guys. There's there's a lot of work left here, and we'll see what they've done. But um, I think it, we've been you know, saying that throughout the whole thing. Like, I'm, I think we're both pretty honest in how we view, uh, you know, the highlights of the class and, and you know, even you know, Caleb Brown, like what you hope happens. Um, but I think more than anything, like Conzo's future is, well, well, right. It's, it's going to, so much is going to matter what happens on the floor this year. And if it goes the way you hope it goes, which is at least a instantly tournament ex, uh, appearance, um, or, you know, if COVID lets all of us finish that way, uh, it he still has to have a killer spring in recruiting. Like, like, like that's the thing is, even with all the positives that uh, that I think you can read out of the guys that they had, like all of those the the players in this class aren't aren't going to step in and make Mizzou a twenty win team next year uh, or the year after next. Like these are all guys that that are going to need help, and I like there isn't enough help on the roster behind the this graduating class you know if xavier pinson comes back i'll i'll feel a little bit different i mean we we all still have to see you know pinson be consistent on the floor um you know but if if xavier pinson plays um you know all of the season like he played the end of last season then you've got a guy who can potentially be an all-conference guard uh, and you need all conference players to compete uh, and 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 make the in, the uh, NCAA tournament. So I, I don't think that. Yeah, I, I think as much maybe uh, you know positivity as there is around um, you know some of the recruits in the class and and how good you can feel about somebody like Sean Dura Gordon and and his ceiling. I don't think anybody's. Uh, at least any, yeah, any, anybody that is a reasonable mind, which we know there are plenty of people out there that are not very reasonable, uh, who don't have at least some level of understanding of, of what a you know 200th rated recruit on the wing you know, means for a recruiting class. Like it's there's a lot to like about him, but you know like there's a reason he's not a top 25 player. So. Uh, on that note, we can get out of here. Yeah, so we are running up against an hour, so we better get out of here before we hit that mark. Um, so we'll be back in two weeks. Uh, we're going to try to line up a guest. So you guys don't have to listen to us talk through the whole thing. Um, but, yeah, it looks like there are things in the works as far as uh, college basketball trying uh, with every of them. They're going to be able to play as many games as possible. I think we're going to really get college basketball this year. I don't know how much college football we're going to get, but I feel really good that we are going to get some level of college basketball. Um, So how's that for finishing on a positive note? We'll see you in two weeks. Thanks for tuning in.